Hey, before we get started, we wanted to ask you, our listeners, for your feedback for our upcoming Season 3 retrospective episode. We're asking for submissions, and you can write in or record a short audio blurb telling us about your favorite moment in the third season of Northern Exposure. We'll give you a shout-out or play a recording on air when we discuss Season 3 as a whole. Send your submissions to the email address northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And thanks again for listening to the show and writing in. And now, back to your regular broadcast. Got your muffs? I got my muffin, honey. Don't want Jack Frost nibbling at your ears. Don't worry. I won't be cold. As Bill used to say, you don't get cold in the bush. Either you're warm or you're dead. Mm, guess now he's kind of both, huh, babe? What's that, Cheryl? You know, cold and dead. <laughs> Hello, and good morning, good day, or good night to wherever you're listening to this. We are the Northern Overexposure Podcast, where we talk about the 1990s CBS television series, Northern Exposure. My name is Charles, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Lee. Hello, my name is Lee. I've seen the show quite a few times. Uh, Big fan of the show. Charles, this is your first time watching every episode as we go through this podcast. This episode is called Three Amigos. Yeah, kind of a... Why why Three Amigos? Why not just call the wild? I'm so let down. Neither Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, (laughs) or Martin Short appeared in this episode. Yeah, that was your prediction on the last episode. Uh, Of course, you know, they can't spring for that kind of talent. Uh, You know, that's that's a lot of money, I guess. (laughs) Well, they did get a good guest star, though, at least. Uh, Even though she's not one of the Three Amigos, they got Joanne Cassidy to guest star in this episode. Wait, hold on. I was, I'm not familiar with Joanne Cassidy. Tell me about her credits. Uh, she played Margaret in Six Feet Under, the HBO series. Wow. And she okay. was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's pretty great. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, we had, I think she's also in Blade Runner. Whoa. I'm trying to picture her in Blade Runner. That seems very possible. Yeah, she is in Blade Runner. She plays a character called Zora. I'm trying to remember. I was actually just watching this movie recently. Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies, but it's also one that. The first time I watched it, I passed out. Like I fell asleep. <laughs> and I feel like everyone that I talked to, uh, well, I guess friends who aren't really like film school friends, but everyone's like, yeah, Blade Runner is great. I fell asleep watching it, but it's so good. <laughs> it's kind of long and, and slow, but uh, I, I love it. It's great. I have actually not seen Blade Runner in a very long time. Like I don't even remember the premise of Blade Runner. It's something to do with uh, cyborgs, right? Yeah, it's like replicants are what they are. Uh, it's what they're called. And Harrison Ford is sort of uh, like a enforcer type who seeks out these, maybe to destroy or stop these replicants. I would, we can get off, we can start talking about Northern Exposure, <laughs> but before uh, we do, I'll just say definitely rewatch it. And if you haven't seen 2049, check out the, uh, the original Blade Runner and check out 2049 after that. Aren't I supposed to be watching the director's cut? Man, that's a good question. It's been a while since I've seen Blade Runner, so I don't know the definitive answer to that. I know I, there's a lot of different uh, cuts of this that, movie. Yeah, exactly. That's like the only movie in which like, when you say, you're like, oh, I really like Blade Runner. Like The other person is like, well, which one did you watch? Did you watch like, the 12-inch yeah. version? Did you watch like the remix? <laughs> it's, I, I know it's not a musical album, yeah. but like, you get my point. <laughs> well, I'll, all I'll say is this. I'm not going to go on the record uh, suggesting the wrong thing, but there is a right way to watch it. Just Google it. You'll, you'll figure it out. Ah, so okay. <laughs> listeners at home, if you haven't seen it, 
Blade Runner. Make sure you watch the, the right version and then check out 2049. They're, they're great. Okay, let's talk about Northern Exposure. This episode, again, it's the 16th episode. It's called Three Amigos, I guess because there's sort of this uh, throwaway line early on, very lots of exposition, you know, expository dialogue in the beginning. We'll kind of set it up, but the title of the episode uh, refers to Hauling, Maurice, and their friend uh, Bill Planey who um, apparently, according to Ed, people used to call them Porthos, Athos, and Aramis, which uh, those the names of the Three Musketeers. Did you know that the author of the Three Musketeers was actually black? I did not know that. Yeah, so in Django Unchained, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is a racist slave owner. I forgot the name of the character in the film, but Leo is a racist slave owner. And he's trying to espouse about all of the great authors throughout time. And he specifically cites Alexander Dumas, who is the author of Three Musketeers. And Christoph Waltz's character says, do you happen to know the ethnicity of that man? And he goes, yeah. like, I assume white. And he goes, <laughs> no, Alexander Dumas was black. Yeah. Yeah, because this whole thing is like the phrenology, like, you know, the white person's brain or what the skull is like just totally pseudoscience. Okay, it's pretty obvious we're trying to avoid talking about this episode. I'll just come out and say it. This is, um, this is okay, obviously, this is probably my least favorite episode in uh, this season. If not, this is uh, hitting the bottom of the barrel with like um, a Kodiak moment. Okay, my opinion is that I don't think it's the worst episode. Okay, I yeah. think actually there needs to be more episodes like this in that they need to be more it's like focused on individual characters is that yeah focus on individual characters and not being afraid to step out of the box and just really follow through with one plot line or be yeah. outside of the town of sicily those are all things that i think they should explore but in the context of this episode I don't think it's done very well. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't think this is a very good episode. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think uh, what we will find as we continue this uh, series, that does happen. I, as far as I remember, you know, it sort of branches off. Eventually, later down the line, Joel becomes sort of less of a major character or, or primary, you know, protagonist. But I really felt um, his absence in this episode you know i agree you know it's cool that they're folk they're not worried about you know doing this ensemble piece it's just focus on like specific characters what is it about them uh that makes them interesting but this this episode is sort of structured like i don't know how you would um you would term it but it reminds me of movies like uh the hobbit or some Lord of the Rings movies where it's sort of like event, then event, then event, like encounter, then another encounter, then another encounter. So the plot is sort of a journey, uh, sort of like the Odyssey or something. And it feels less of sort of like the typical sort of Aristotle poetics arc, you know, it's more of just like a compounded list of events that happened. Um, and this episode, I, I feel like does that. It's sort of like Huckleberry Finn, you know, Tom Sawyer, where it's just like, bullet points on um, a plot sheet, but it doesn't really tie together too strongly for me, at least I, I could be totally off, but in like a specific theme or a specific uh, character arc. 
Yeah, I agree. It definitely hits just event to event to event. Kind of like the best way to describe it, it, it visually would be if it just spikes up and then it just keeps spiking up. Like there's no plateauing whatsoever. Yeah. Like it just keeps jumping to the next event and then yeah. jumping all over or, the place. Or it's almost as if it's like these dots that are disconnected almost. I mean, it's obviously connected in one line. They're trying to go to to the burial ground, but... I don't, this episode's hard to talk about. I know we normally try to go in order and focus on uh, different plot lines, but there's really just uh, their journey to bury their friend, Bill Planey. And I guess uh, Chris, you know, keeping the home fires burning on, on, on K-Bear, kind of telling the story. But Yeah, so it's a linear storyline right here in that you're having Maurice and Holling wanting to go find Bill first. That's their first part. And then once they find Bill, they're going to bring him to Nome. No name, no name point. No name point. And then bury him over there. And I can kind of see what the screenwriter is trying to do by having Chris provide voiceover of using Jack London's famous novels of White Fang and Call of the Wild and having that be like a like a juxtaposition between the journey between allegory or parallel. I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 Of comparing between the dogs in that novel and what's happening with Maurice and Holling. It's a neat writing exercise. Uh, I, I don't think it translates super well or at the very least, I don't think it's groundbreaking. Yeah. I don't, uh, I hate to, I hate to say things like this cause it's incredibly subjective. Like it's, this is just my opinion, but I have found the whole call of the wild thing. Just boring. Just to me, that's like my subjective opinion. It was not interesting to me, uh, the journey that they went on. I don't know. It just didn't feel as human as some other episodes or as powerful. Have you ever read uh, any of Jack London's novels? Okay, I'll admit I haven't. So maybe if I had, I might enjoy it a little more. But (laughs) I have not either, but I owned a Jack London novel when I was really young because I went to one of those scholastic book fairs that you do when you're like a young child. And uh, I saw White Fang and the cover of it was a dog. And I was like, I want to read that. (laughs) (laughs) I bought the book. Dog Watch 1996 (laughs) or something? Yeah. And I, I never read it. Like, I, I just bought oh, it, yeah. and I was just like, I don't want to read this. Like, I got a copy here, so. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the theme of the episode, because okay. I think we can nail that one down, or at least explore different meanings within that and overanalyze that. So, in my opinion, I think it's all about exploration. Okay. So, we have explorers. Like, Maurice is talking about exploring outer space and how that made him feel right. complete. Like he needs to get out of those confined, polite society. And Maurice feels the same way too. He's like, you know, I like the brick, but I need to explore outwards. Like man was meant to be in the wilderness. So his exploring is toward the woods of Alaska. And presumably bills of a similar nature was always with those two and in exploring. So there's something within human beings in that we ache to go for adventure. Yeah. And I like what you said, like sort of like get out of this like polite high society, go out into the wilderness, this sort of like wild at heart energy that is uh, sort of primally within us all. And uh, it's brought up quite a few times between uh, Holling and Maurice, how they just can't deny that's part of them. Maybe it's part of everyone, but particularly those two people uh, and, you know, the late Bill Planey, but that was really what made them uh, their own person, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's particularly why they mesh so well together because they were all birds of a feather. So the episode begins with Holling and Shelly being alone in the brick. The brick is past hours, like it's closed, and they're just 
uh, kind of just burning time, I guess, until yeah, they like, finished up the tours. They're like contemplating what new additions they might bring. Unfortunately, they allude to um, some ceiling mirrors, you know, I guess for the hanky-panky that uh, that they're constantly uh, enacting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but but then Maurice comes in, right? Yeah, and Maurice comes in and he, he brings up the terrible news that their dear friend Bill has passed away. And immediately they know what the next step is. They're like, yeah. oh, okay, we have to go bury him at... No name point, yeah. Okay, I keep wanting <laughs> to okay. say no man's land. Oh, <laughs> There's no way it's that. Same difference, though. <laughs> So that is immediately how the episode starts off, and that's where we're going to end with. Yeah. So then the next scene is Maurice buying supplies from Ruthann, and there's a limited number of other people in this episode, and yeah. Ruthann is one of them, along with Ed and Shelley. That's true, yeah. This conversation basically is just Ruthann saying all the dangerous stuff that's about to happen. So it's ex- exposition. You know, she's just saying like, well, isn't it going to be tough? Isn't it dangerous to do this? So she sets up the stakes or maybe some of the conflict early on, but that's kind of really the only thing that she's doing in this episode, which is like, you know, that's more of like a plot service rather than a character service, which strikes me as very off for Northern Exposure. That's, well, she, that's the first clue why I was like, this doesn't feel right. She has one thing, though. She wants them to bring the blackjack gum for them to bury. That's right, yeah. So Bill Planty liked this uh, particular brand of gum called blackjack. It's a real gum. I've never had it. Have you ever had blackjack? No, I didn't even know it existed. I had to look it up. So did you find out any... I did some research, too. What, yeah, what did you yeah. find out? Uh, it's aniseed flavored. I, I, don't, I don't know what that means. Yeah, I'd never heard the term aniseed before, but sounded a lot like anise, uh, which is actually, it's just another word, another way of saying anise, which is a, a licorice flavor, sort of in some like a lot of Italian cookies, like in uh, pastries oh, have that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, some liqueurs and, and things like that are flavored with this uh, licorice uh, type of gum or flavoring, rather. <laughs> I don't know. I like, uh, I like that idea for like a licorice flavored gum. That, I feel like licorice was a thing that old people really like or they had when they were kids, like licorice candies. It doesn't seem like it's very popular. Uh, it's not a very high seller. You know, It's more of a yeah. refined taste. I guess that's why you can only find them in novelty candy shops now because it's such an old flavor. It, that's like, um, like saltwater taffy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. kind of reminds you yeah. of that. There was also I, – I saw this video once and uh, you, what you just said like brought back my memories of it. It's a video of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett wandering a candy store Interesting. with each other. And they're talking about all these old candies on the shelves and what they did as children in order to buy them, like the odd jobs they did in order to get money before they were, you know, uh, had immense wealth. And I thought it was kind of an adorable thing to watch. Uh, these <laughs> Yeah, two the, one of the most richest men ever. Just Influential, talking yeah. about old candy flavors. They didn't talk about uh, blackjack gum, did they? Oh gosh, <laughs> you know I'd have to rewatch the video. I know they talk about Cracker Jack a lot. Well, I will say, if you look at the uh, Wikipedia page for blackjack gum in the uh, subsection titled "In Popular Culture," Northern Exposure is referenced. Uh, you know, Ruthann offers Maurice a pack of blackjack gum to bury with their late friend Bill. She said he always liked it. You know, they, in fact, at the end of the episode, do bury Bill with a pack of uh, blackjack gum in his pocket. Yeah. I like the discovery of blackjack gum. Oh, uh, how how it was like, uh, how it was discovered. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, so the story goes that Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, who was famous for losing the Texas War of Independence, and he was the ex-Mexican president, he was living in New Jersey. And when he went to New Jersey, he brought with him Mexican chicle with him in order to help sell it so he could return back to Mexico. So he persuaded Thomas Adams to buy it. And Adams had the idea of trying to vulcanize it as a rubber substitute, but he failed. <laughs> but he noticed that Santa Ana liked to chew on it, so he turned it into a gum. And I like the idea of these inventions that were meant for one purpose, but then they don't pan out, but then they realize like, the other applications for it. Like, I think the... Uh, like, take, for instance, the microwaves, how they noticed that a chocolate bar would melt in someone's pocket whenever it got exposed to these particular types of waves, so they built a machine that would only produce those waves. Yeah, and I, it's weird that he they were trying to make a, like a sort of like a strong rubber, and the guy just likes chewing it instead. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't yeah, seem like you should just chew anything in your laboratory. Yeah, that, that's like, that should have been clue one. It's like, you're, you're hoping to turn this into something that can withstand like hundred like thousand degrees of heat and you're like a human being could just chew it <laughs> um okay so the next scene we see that ed has fashioned i guess it was ed yeah he he made the coffin for bill planey that they're going to take on the road uh they're also uh getting packing horses i believe because at, at a certain point the road's gonna end and they're gonna have to hop on some horses and carry this coffin carry bill to no name point yeah so they're on the way to deliver the body to No Name Point, but then the car breaks down that they're using to deliver the horses in order to get to the place. And they go out to go change out the tire. And this is where Hauling kind of like just pulls his back. And I thought it was just like a one-off thing. Like it was just a scene to have them stop and admire the scenery. But that actually comes back throughout the entire episode yeah. that he has back problems. Yeah, well, it you know, it shows... Um sort of the progression of time. You know, they're not as young as they were whenever they were friends with Bill. Like, how much time has changed things? Uh, And it's, you know, you can't really return to that. Uh, It's sort of a distant memory that they're trying to honor. Uh, And as you see by the end of the episode, uh, it becomes more and more distant. You know, obviously, as I just said, Holling is not as young as he was. He has back issues. They're just not cut out for this type of uh, adventure anymore. It's still part of them, but, you know, times change. Yeah, exactly. They finally make it to Bill's place, and out comes a woman who has an unusual name. Yeah, her name is Solvang, right? Solvag. Solvag. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a very, what, like Norwegian or what is the uh, etymology of that name? Well, I typed it into Google, and all I got was the uh, name of a town in California. So I think it's just sort of like a form of the name Solve, which is S-O-L-V-E-I-G. I'm thinking of there's an actress named Solve Dom Martin. I'm not really sure if I'm pronouncing that right. But that's why it sounded familiar to me. The name Solve apparently has an old Norse origin, means the daughter of the sun. Uh, but it's a common name in Denmark, Norway, Sweden, and Iceland. Also apparently common in German and France. <laughs> Sorry, Germany and France. Hmm. Okay. It's just such an unusual name to give to a character that I don't believe that that has any significance to her character. She just sounds I just sounds very icy, you know, like I'm thinking of like Norway and just very northern. Uh, so it fits in in Canada, maybe, you know, and they're they're close to, you know, Alaska. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a possibility it's a common name up 
in the north and we just don't know about it. I will say, do you, what was your initial impression of uh, Solvang? Like, I, I don't know, for, from the get-go, I thought she was going to double-cross them. I, she sort of, she doesn't really double-cross them, but, uh, you know, she splits off from them later. But I thought she was, like, playing them for some reason. Uh, initially, like, if you're talking about, like, the very first scenes in which I'm watching her, I just thought she was just going to be there for that one scene. Like, I thought yeah. she was going to be like, oh, here's the body. Uh, you gentlemen make your way. Good yeah. luck. Here's some food. Like, I, I didn't <laughs> imagine, like, the whole sequence of events that would happen with her. Yeah, and uh, she sort of, you know, she she joins along, obviously. Uh, she sort of comes on to both of them, you know. Well, I don't know. There, there's there's so many bullet points in the plot here. So we'll, we'll jump around, forgive us. But uh, there's, let's just kind of like brush through it. So at one point, Holling tells Solvang, you know, I owed Bill a sum of money. I want to pay it back to you now. You know, I guess it should go to you. Uh, you survived him. So he gives her $50. Maurice does the same thing. You know, they do this in private. They don't, they kind of don't want each other to figure this out. But Maurice takes Solvang aside and um, he also owed Bill $50. But he uses some strange math to come up with some interest formula. And the total comes out to be $1,643.81. Did you check that math there? Wait, he gives her, I thought he only handed her like a hundred plus like a couple extra more dollars for the interest. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. I think I, he wrote a check. He gave her a thousand dollars off of a hundred dollars? Uh, no, so I, he owed her fifty dollars. Yeah. There was interest and he writes her a check for a thousand six four one six four three point eight one. Uh, I mean, it can kind of make sense depending on when it was issued. Well, like I was looking into it on how much like fifty dollars was actually worth, or like a hundred dollars in nineteen ninety two, and I think a hundred dollars is only worth like one hundred and seventy one dollars in today's time. The reason I'm bringing it up is because he kind of lays out. Okay, I'm, we're gonna rewatch the scene real fast because it's it's kind of confusing me. Okay, there's a little business I'd like to clear up. Back in uh, nineteen sixty four, I borrowed some money from Bill. It was fifty. No, no, it was a hundred dollars. I never paid it back, and I think now that Bill's uh, gone, that you ought to have it, since it's rightfully yours. Yeah, with with interest, of course. A hundred dollars. Let's see. That's ten uh, percent compounded daily. That would be uh, three hundred sixty-five days times twenty-eight years. That would be one thousand six hundred forty-three dollars and eighty-one cents. There you are. Okay, yeah. So Maurice says, well, he starts off saying fifty, but it quickly says, no, it was a hundred dollars I owed Bill, and then he says a uh, hundred dollars, and he wants to pay ten percent interest compounded daily. That's three hundred sixty-five days in a year, and it was twenty-eight years ago. That's way more than a thousand six hundred and forty-three. Yeah, if I'm understanding this correctly, that means he pays ten percent interest every single day compounded. Yeah, like that, no, that's, that's insane. insane. No, 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 no. That's $10 a day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's insane. The 1964 <laughs> inflation rate was 1.31%. So if we use it in today, like 2020 time, okay. from 1964 of $100, it would be worth a good chunk of money. Like it would be worth about $830, give or Still, take. Still, that's only half of... Yeah, that's going all the way to 2020, though. Like yeah. we're ending on 1992 right here. So, n- yeah. I, yeah, that, that's why I was kind of confused by the math here. I just, it's funny that no one checked that or maybe, I don't know, is that the idea is that 
Maurice is just trying to pick a number and he's trying to sound um, like he's really thinking it out, but he's not. I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, I, I just think that they just mistyped it. Like also, they, why is it important that, sorry to cut you off, why is it important that they keep it a secret from each other, Maurice and Holling? I, maybe a pride issue. That's all I okay. can think of. Like maybe they didn't like that privately they had to ask Bill for money. Yeah, but they never go into that. I don't know. There seems to be so much um, flowery exposition and description of uh, crazy adventures and stories that they shared with Bill. But in this case, it's very uh, sort of a mystery and never really investigated. Yeah, I guess it's just to show that these two men, uh, Maurice and Holly, are at least honorable enough to repay the debts that they owed. Because she didn't know about it. They, he, they easily could have just saved some pocket change. Yeah. It seems like though in the scene with Maurice that he's um he's not only trying to honor this debt, but he's trying to um, you know, it comes after Solvang mentions like how broke they are or how broke she is now and how there's like nothing to trap out here. So maybe he feels a little guilty and, and, and sad and or uh guilty that he they never visited Bill. You know, they talk about this in the episodes, like, why didn't we ever come, you know, hang out with Bill? You always think that there's more time. You know, at one point, Maurice had to, some sort of speaking engagement in Houston. At another time, Holling was doing something with the brick. I don't know. There's just excuses. but So maybe they felt guilty about that. I don't know. Yeah. It could be a whole host of uh, issues. But that's between... the kind of thing. Sorry. That's the kind of thing I would hope they would get into, not just, uh, you know, a quest, but whatever. Right. Right. No, I agree with you. Individually in their private meetings with her, whenever they're trying to resettle up their debts, she comes on to both of the men. And strangely enough, it only comes after they're trying to give money back to her, which I thought was kind of (laughs) odd. Yeah, I don't know why she does, but I think we figure out, you know, she's, um, she was with Bill for, I think she said two years. I could be wrong, but not, not a relatively long period of time, but just, you know, sort of a, sort of a recent development, perhaps. We find by the end of the episode, she sort of abandons the quest. She's, uh, this is not the end, this is towards the end, but she abandons the quest to join them uh, on their burial trip. Uh, She just jumps off with the bartender at the uh, Two Forks, I think is what they call it. She just like stays with him. Yeah, she mentioned that before she was with Bill, she had at least three other husbands right. right there. And it was to show that, you know, she is an opportunistic woman. Um, well, obviously, yeah. she's trying that's what to- I thought. I thought she was like trying to like, uh, like a gold digger or like trying to like steal from Maurice and Holling. But, uh, you know, it could also just be that, you know, she's just, uh, She's moved on. She's moves on quickly. I don't know. Yeah, she's such an odd character, and I don't know what the right feel for her is. And I don't know if it's meant to be like she's there to portray something negatively, or if she's just there yeah. to be something quirky. I think it's cool that it it didn't turn out to be my like my instinct was like, oh, she's like gonna play them. She's gonna trick them. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really do that, but it's also not like she doesn't really like follow through with the mission either. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly seems like she doesn't have like deep lasting love for bill like she's willing to go uh you know quote unquote dishonor bill by sleeping with maurice 10 feet away from his corpse and willing <laughs> yeah, to not follow through with his burial she's just a strange piece of the episode and i guess it's kind of how i felt about the entire episode yeah i don't know it's all kind of like hobbled together in a way i don't know uh well on the other side of this, uh, we mentioned Chris is sort of reading from Call of the Wild. 
tons of passages. Uh, kind of early on in the episode, there's a scene between Chris and Shelly, which we think is going to be sort of like a dose of something new. But really, they're not really talking about anything. Really, all that's happening, Shelly is just regurgitating the plot of Call of the Wild. Like She's like, you know, remember how you were talking about you were reading this section on the air and then this happened and then this happened? So she's just talking about the plot there. And Chris's response is like, yeah, that's that's true. You got to remember that uh, Jack London wrote this other book called White Fang, and then he just sort of talks about the plot of that. So they're not really talking about character or anything. They're just kind of regurgitating the plots of uh, uh, other media. Yeah, they're going through the exact same themes just being played out within Holling and Maurice of like getting out of your comfort zone and going into the wild and vice versa and like, you know, coming back from the wild and trying to settle back into society. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even too sure why that exchange of dialogue is even there. And, you know, I, I realize we maybe we didn't bring this up or make it clear, but as things are happening with Maurice and Holling and Solvang, uh, sometimes we get uh, sort of like a voiceover narration from Chris, and he's just reading passages out of Call of the Wild uh, on top of like what's happening, and it's sort of a parallel. Yeah, yeah, it's always mimicking it. So like, for example, on this one, like in the next few scenes, they are going through the snow. It's going a little bit rough. Uh, Bill is turning out to be a lot more rounder he's, he's than like they fat, thought he was. He's fatter than he yeah, was. Yeah, so they have a little bit more trouble like bringing up his corpse all the way up through the snow. And we see that a lot in a lot of the day shots. Like Chris will be yeah. narrating over it and, and Chris will be saying something like, uh, and Buck was having trouble with its leader and wanted to go by itself. And it would show like, you know, Holling and Maurice kind of like bickering and not knowing who the leader is and like blah, 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 stuff like that. Yeah, that's the, I, I feel like that is a one instance where the voiceover narration really saved uh, the scene. It's, you know, it's the first sort of outburst we can see that uh, their friendship is starting to fall apart. Um, they're yelling at each other, but as soon as Maurice starts to really get animated and angry, uh, Chris's voice overpowers it. That, you know, Maurice's uh, dialogue starts to duck and get like the volume gets lower, and um, Chris just sort of verbalizes what's happening again. Like, Which is a neat trick. I yeah. do like that. I think it helps because it's... I don't know, maybe it would have worked, but I felt at the time it was just sort of a weird outburst. It makes uh, more sense as Chris is uh, sort of painting this parallel storyline. It's like, oh yeah, of course that's what would happen. But uh, in the scene proper, if there was no voiceover narration, I feel like it may have been, it may have felt a little forced maybe, but that could just be me. <laughs> right. So they get into this argument in the first place because somebody didn't, what was the word? Like trot the horses, hobble the horses. <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I have, I have no idea, but yeah, they didn't like tie up the horses. Yeah, essentially. I, I don't know what you would call that, but yeah. Yeah, Hop. exactly. And then eventually they find them at two forks. They're kind of like grazing, kind of doing their own thing. And they decide to go inside the establishment to go get some drinks, you know, get food. And yeah, they they talk to the bartender there. They play some games of bridge and uh, start a bar fight. I mean, there's a lot that there's a lot more than that, but it's just kind of like I don't know. There's nothing for me to like latch onto. It's just mm -hmm. like okay, now I guess I'm gonna watch them play bridge and get into a bar fight. Because uh, yeah, because it's hard to find like the deeper meaning within that because it's literally just an event that's yeah. using it to propel toward the next event. Like if we really wanted to, we really wanted to overanalyze <laughs> this. We'd be like, all right, well. Maurice is really good at 
playing cards. He's really good at calculating. Like he knows how to play someone for like a businessman. That's a very useful skill, you know, and it also shows that like these two men are also trying to veer away from society. So they're not willing to play by those rules. So that's why they get into a bar fight so easily. They're like, (laughs) all right, well, like there's no rules out here. Yeah. they're, They're starting to go more wild. That's true. Yeah. But no, I agree with you. Like, I, it sounds like we're brushing over these scenes, but it's because, at least for me, I'm finding it difficult to want to spend time extrapolating <laughs> further yeah. details into this. And I feel bad though because if this happens to be an episode that you really enjoy, yeah, then we're 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 kind of just crapping all over. Yeah, it. I'm, I'm, we're not trying to say that nothing's happening or nothing interesting is happening. Things are happening. Uh, you could watch it and be entertained. Uh, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it's not working on me. But yeah, think things happen. This is the uh, point at which Solvang uh, leaves the expedition. Uh, Holling and Maurice continue on. Pretty shortly after this, something breaks in the carriage that they've uh, rigged up, and Bill's body like falls down like a cliff or something. Yeah, and they have to. Oh, their stunt doubles have to run down and chase it. There's a lot of uh, like long lens photography where you can't really see their faces, but you see like two men like uh, sort of like sliding down like the snow and running through the water. I'm surprised they actually went and retrieved the corpse. Like, yeah, I thought, I thought as soon up. as it went down and hit the river, it I thought I was like, like, oh, okay, they're, it's going to pan to a shot of them being like, well, crap, what do we do? And then be like, you know, cut to nighttime. I didn't think they would actually go down and go get the body. I was surprised. It's like, wow, they're really, but it shows um, that surprise means that, you know, they're very dedicated to this purpose, at least at the this point in the episode. They're not going to give up. Uh, but right after this, you know, Maurice almost has like frostbite on his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollings back is still out. They're trying to warm themselves up by the fire later. They're trying to dry off Bill's body because it got wet, obviously. And I think that night there, I like one of them brings up the fact it's like, you know, Bill, uh, if he were, you know, alive, would have wanted to like maybe take them with him. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we can't let this happen. You know, we're not going to make it to no name point. What, who are we kidding? You know, let's just bury him right here. Right. Well, I, I like the defense that they use in order to justify burying him right there. Cause they're saying like, you know what else Bill hated? He hated a fool and we're being foolish by even True. attempting to go over there. Yeah. He would have hated it. He would have wanted us to bury him in the most optimal manner. Like he would have understood that we are approaching an age in which we just can't do it. So I thought that was kind of nice. And then, you know, it's a cliche lesson where you like, Oh, like you can't be sad for the individual. He wouldn't have wanted you to be sad. He wanted you, you know, would have wanted you to be happy. Like I get that. But in this story case, I thought it was a elegant way to tie it up. Yeah. I think Holling's uh, eulogy is pretty funny. Like when they actually get Bill in the ground, uh, they're pretty quick about it. They're like, okay, it's done. Finally, we can, just, we can get out of this terrible episode. Now we can finally like, leave. Uh, but uh, he, he's um, very quick about it. I'll, I'll play the sound bite. Man could skin a 10-point buck in the time it took most people to tie their shoes. No point in living in the past. Let's go. Amen. He said very few things. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty short-lived. Uh, you know, not to say that he didn't respect Bill, but I think they're pretty much over it at this point. Yeah, so they try to make their way back into town, and 
it's right when Chris conveniently finishes his story of Call of the Wild that we see through the reflection of the window of K-Bear that he sees the car returning. Yeah, and, you know, to wrap things up, I think later uh, Shelly is giving hauling like a sponge bath or something. I forget why. It's for his back, right? This is back, right. Okay, his back's like all blown out. And uh, he's recounting stuff to her. But basically what happens is this uh, scene sort of cuts off and there's this montage of uh, footage from earlier in the episode with the music playing over it. I think maybe there's some voiceover narration from Chris, but I don't know. That's kind of the cheapest way to end an episode. That's like the, it's like we couldn't really figure out how to end it. So we just uh, recycle these, these bits. Right. It's, it's effective because it's like music and uh, effective uh, expression in the footage, but it's uh, an easy out. Right. Can we talk about Chris when he finishes the story of the Call of the Wild and he shuts down the book? There's still at least like 300 pages <laughs> left in Call of the Wild. I didn't, I didn't read that, but what if it was... Oh my God, what if he was like, uh, stay tuned next week for part two. <laughs> I would just like stop watching. I don't know why they didn't have the actor just, they didn't have John Corbett just flip to the last page yeah. and then close the book. Like he clearly had like a good chunk <laughs> of it left. I haven't been watching his like, um, you know, his page, you know, when he's reading on air, but I feel like he, he kind of reads from random parts of books. But that uh, one clearly had the yeah. end. That one, unless like the index is that large. Oh, did he say the end? Yeah, he, he, he was like, yeah. <laughs> the end. There's like this <laughs> giant index. You ended it where you wanted to end it, Chris. <laughs> it's a much more terrible ending ahead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, what else can we say? Well, there's an interesting... Uh, the credits at the end of this episode, normally after, at the end of the show, the credits will have the theme song at the end credits, but this time there's score from the episode. It's not the theme song. The score is playing underneath the end credits. Yeah. Can we talk about that score though? Cause I actually really like that. Like it sounds yeah. very, uh, pioneerish, like yeah, very yeah, adventurous yeah. and it's playing throughout the entire episode. And I thought that was really lovely. I don't know. I tried to kind of try to figure out what it was. I did everything except like Shazam it, but I couldn't really figure out from Moose Chick what exactly it might be. Uh, but maybe I'd like to think it was original score for the I want to say episode. it was original score as well. Like obviously trying to mirror after some famous like 1950s or something like that. Uh, exp- exploration film. Yeah. Uh, but hey, if you're listening and you happen to know if this score is from uh, another property, please write in to Northern Overexposure Podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Uh, if you can tell us what the name of the song is, who wrote it? Oh, one last thing. There's dogs in this episode. Lots of dogs. Yeah, just like one shot of this uh, sled dogs in front of two forks. Yeah. You think there would be more dogs in this episode. But I thought so too. Yeah, I was like, it's about dogs. Like, why I, isn't there more? I guess they were like, we got to go full metaphor, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, so let's toss to our guest. So we didn't mention this at the top, but one of our you know, staples of this podcast is we always bring on a guest someone uh, typically who has never seen the show before. So, you know, just to get their sort of outsider opinion, does the show stand up today? Uh, does it stand up out of context? You know, if you just saw this one episode, what would you think about the series as a whole? Uh, this one's really, it's very unique. You know, we're going to always remember this one as this is the call of the wild episode, but it's very non-traditional. So curious to see what our guest has to say. By the way, our guest is Brody, our good friend Charles, our friend Brody. 
Oh my god, we gave this guy the episode. Oh yeah, I forgot the story. It's been so long. We yeah. gave it. Yeah, we gave Brody this episode maybe a month and a half ago. How how long ago do you think we gave it to him? Well, so Brody was actually supposed to watch the episode "A Hunting We Will Go," which was the eighth episode in this season. Somehow, like the files got crossed when I was sharing it with him. He watched uh, ep- this episode sixteen, the eighth episode after. Uh, what he was supposed to watch. <laughs> I, yeah. I still don't, to this day, I don't know what happened. You know, I gave him the the right episode, but something, I don't know, something maybe got corrupted or it's <laughs> boggling my mind. Uh, but thank you, Brody, for recording this, uh, you know, a long time ago. Sorry it's taking us this long to get to you, but um, we really appreciate it. And yeah, we'll just let, let's let Brody talk for himself. All right. I'm not sure what's going to happen next because I have a lot of thoughts on this episode and I didn't think that was going to be the case. I'm looking at three pages of notes I was taking while I was watching this episode. And I am I watched like, I think I've watched maybe like four or five episodes many, many years ago with my roommate Lee. So, you know, we know each other, but like I'm not holding back for this. And like, I remember the premise. So I was watching this episode and I was like, where's this doctor I heard so much about? And I was just like, I don't know. I don't really remember these characters at all. So let's see what happens with them. And when it opens up, I'm like, what the f***? So the bar owner is like sleeping with the server? What kind of like weird power imbalance is that? Do they meet each other as he is the the like bar owner and she is the waitress and therefore he took advantage of the situation? I don't know. There's weird power dynamics already at play. So let's continue. So we go through all this and then someone shows up and they're like, oh, this person died. And I'm thinking, I don't know who this person is. I don't know who any of you are. But apparently, like, this person means a lot to the people before us. So this must be important. And it cuts out. And all I hear is this weird-ass and way too jovial for the, the, the circumstances, this theme song. Um, so then it gets started. Well, well we got to save this guy. Or not save this guy, but, like, bring him to, like, the, the mountain and bury him and shit. And it reminded me a lot of the cremation of Sam McGee. You know, someone, like, taking the last words of a of a friend as the most important ones and you have to like do it no matter what and i was like oh this is this could be good like this is like a commentary on the cremation of sam mcgee but then we get cut off by who i'm gonna call the bard now because like why the f- would he show up and he's like and it's all good morning vietnam kind of like bullshit and, and it's at this point that i had wish i had read that jack london story gone with the wild or, or i don't know what it's called but it's, i'm I don't know. He's kind of oversold. Um, and I was like, okay, so this is probably going to be a mini episode. I'm not going to learn anything about the main characters. So I'm not going to learn anything about why the fuck I should care about any of this. Like, tangential episodes only matter if they involve a character from the main series who I really care about. So, like, this is honestly the best and worst episode I could possibly review. And I noticed I'm almost going to the three minutes, but... I got another page and a half of notes. All right, we're going to get through this. So it, it continues. And then I was like, okay, so this is a mini episode. I don't know what else is going on. So maybe it's asking questions about, like, what is friendship? What does that mean when you get older? Is it slightly homoerotic? It's three guys. I don't know. They're looking at a fire. Nothing. There's nothing gay there. But they're like, oh. Then the narrator comes out of nowhere again, who I'm going to call the bard, like I said. And the bard interrupts so much. And so this is where it just gets way too pretentious for me. Just like, leave the bard at home. 
I get this. This is a reference to Jack London. You don't have to have Jack London read back to me. I get it. It's about Gone with the Wild. I'm going to say Gone with the Wild. I'm pretty sure this is the thing I'm confusing with that Civil War book. Anyway. So we just keep going. And then we meet a woman character. The only like significant woman character, it seems like, in this, in this part of the story, aside from that dude's very young wife, this woman is like another like stereotypical like she's so one dimensional. She only exists in relation to the men around her, and she spends the whole episode like trying to like get with one or the other, and then she abandons both of them, even though it was apparently like she was gonna like go with them out of honor, and then she's like, "No, nah, I'm gonna stay with this guy because he's got money." I'm like, "What the f was that? Like, why are all the women like?" I'm not into that. You guys should know better than that. You should know better than that. Yeah, I'm calling you out. So more barge. Let's go over to the next page. Oh, yeah, so it's just more like the same. It was like this woman's cooking. She's dutiful. She's sexual. She's voracious and evil. She's like, oh, you're tempting me. Oh, this is not what we're here for. And then I, I wrote, she's a siren, which kind of makes sense. She, I guess she's trying to, like, lure them or something. And then more barge. Like, like it cheapens the moment. It sounds like the author doesn't trust us to get what's going on. Like, I get what you're trying to tell me. Okay, just, like, give us give us that. I get it. It's Jack London. Goddamn. And there's the bar to show how excited the bar brawl was. Yeah, like, these old guys are fighting these people. And, like, I'm already excited. You don't have to, like, read over it to me. Like, I get it. Old men fighting. I will watch that. I'm a barbarian to some degree. I'm from southwest Louisiana. And then someone dies. And, like, the body, like, flies down the cliff. And it's, like, weakened at Bernie's now. They have to, like, figure out how to get that shit up there. And then they decide, you know... We're old with a corpse. We could die. Let's just bury him here. What's the point? So what was the whole point of that? What was like, why were we even watching this? Shit? They were okay to fulfill their, their promises as friends up until it got really hard. And it's like, ah, oh, man, we're going to like really like invest in this, aren't we? Let's just cut it here. We're going to cut our losses. Breeders. Am I right? So what was the point? It's domestically weird. He goes back. She's like, oh, you're getting, you're not getting domestic. I was like, are you mean he's gay? You think he's like, what is gay? So he went with this. I don't know. This whole thing is like, and it, well, a man isn't worth his word, it seems like. I don't know. And I feel like I need to also, because like the whole thing like ended with a maudlin song. I feel like I also need to end with a maudlin song. So like, that was my commentary. I went about double the time that Lee asked me to go, but I just feel like all these things were important. So hopefully you don't mind this extra long bit. And now I'm going to play my outro in lieu of this episode and exactly what it did. Okay, so at this point, uh, Brody plays some obviously copyrighted music, so we can't feature it, unfortunately. But it's um, he, he plays, the, the track that he's chosen is Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes. And he even sings along with it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he's got some karaoke going on over there. It's pretty amazing, very fitting. And uh, I feel so bad that we can't include it. It'll have to be our Patreon uh, special. Yeah, like our if, Patreon exclusive. Gotta if we ever to get that set up, that will definitely be part of the Patreon. All right, so where do we start with uh, Brody's commentary here? Oh, he's got so many thoughts on this. Well, it's mainly one thought, but <laughs> the thought is played very well. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm glad that he has a lot of thoughts. So we, I feel like we didn't really deliver super hard here, but uh, I'm guessing the one thought you're uh, talking about is um, 
his hatred of the bard character element. Well, that or? and like, what was the point oh, was the of point. the entire thing? Because like, I, I, I genuinely laughed when he was saying like, "All right, well, like, we should have cut our losses right here. <laughs> like, bodies down the cliff. Let's just go home." <laughs> I will say, uh, I will say the point for me. Uh, it's not very strong, but it works for me. The point that I get out of this is. Uh, it shows by the end of the episode that uh, Holling and Maurice have learned something about themselves. They're a lot older now. They can't really do this anymore. So that's something there. Maybe it's not mega profound. It's enough for me. Yeah, I guess my take would be honor, like a man's word. Like they gave him his word that they were going to do it. Now, they didn't succeed in it, but yeah. like they gave it as much as a close approximation as they can, and they paid back the debt that they owed him. So... It's about holding up your own end of the bargain is what I got out of the episode. Brady mentions a poem, uh, or he mentions the title, The Cremation of Sam McGee, which is uh, I had never heard of, never read it. It's a poem by Robert W. Service. Uh, but yeah, I'm assuming this is kind of a similar ideas, you know, in that poem. Yeah, it concerns the cremations of a prospector who freezes to death near Lake LaBerge, Yukon, Canada. Uh, we got to check that out. Maybe on our Patreon, we can have Brody reading that uh, <laughs> that poem. I bet Brody feels like we gave him the PBS special episode after school or something, like the knockoff episode. <laughs> like, I think that's what he feels like we just did to him. Yeah, he does mention he's seen this before. He was my roommate uh, in college, so he probably watched, I think he said like maybe four or five episodes. Uh, so he knows sort of, he knows the game here. But, you know, maybe this is the perfect episode because he's a little familiar, but this one really catches him off guard because he mentions, where's the doctor, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I guess we should say it always seems to be the first, one of the first things that our guests bring up is uh, Holling and Shelley's relationship. Uh, yeah, I don't know. We've talked about this plenty of times on the podcast. I don't know what else we could say. Sorry, Brody. Uh, they're already a thing before the series even begins. So we don't really... We get the backstory, but it's too much to go into right now. Yeah. We've spent so much airtime trying to figure this out. Well, I think it's actually very interesting that certain things now in 2020, we immediately pick up on and we lambast the past generation for even saying it. Yeah. Even though we lived through that generation. So like certain <laughs> words even now, like that we were using like middle school if you even say that in today's context, you're like, whoa, like, like hey, <laughs> like, hold the phone. What did you just say? And like, it's exactly like this. We're like at the time and maybe like 1992, uh, you know, yeah. at the time at 1990, they were like, oh, like, that's kind of strange, but it's not that unusual. But as we get to 2020, like, that's the first thing that we pick up on. We're just like, holy crap. And then when we saw the episode involving uh, the two gay men that wanted to go buy the house together, yeah. to us, we were like, eh, like all right, like, this is too... Two, two people want to buy a house and we actually got an email from somebody that said like how groundbreaking that episode yeah. was to them. That was just like out like outlandish. Yeah, it was a it was a first for sure or you know a, a, sort of a type of pioneer you know of, of that sort of representation. But uh, I will say I think Holling and Shelley's relationship is still supposed to be a little strange in the 90s perhaps not as immediate of a reaction <laughs> as today but I think uh, I think they knew that in the 90s going into that and that was sort of maybe a challenge or an in interesting quirk I say with air quotes that they wanted to apply to that relationship 
Um, I don't know. Like we said this before. The, the show tries to be progressive, you know, and it is very progressive for uh, its era. But um, yeah, here it's oftentimes not handled uh, too great. There are some episodes that I've gone to the table and just said, you know, I think this is a very good um, representation of their uh, relationship. But most of the time, it's uncomfortable. Right. I think <laughs> I thought it was really funny that Brody points out uh, after this opening gambit where we find out that Bill Planey has died, uh, the theme music cues. And it's this jovial <laughs> celebration of like a moose. And it's just the worst uh, funeral song to play. <laughs> I like that he calls it Gone with the Wild, like a crossover between Gone with the Wind and, and Call of the Wild. wild. Yeah. Like the Von Trapp family goes out into the wilderness, like tries to uh, fend for itself instead of fighting Nazis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's um, it's like Brody doesn't really care that much about Call of the Wild. So he's not even going to really <laughs> give it his his whole like mind to concentrate on that. It's funny that he doesn't refer to Chris as, you know, Chris, he calls him the bard, like the good morning Vietnam bard. I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty good description. Yeah, pretty apt description. And I think he has a point. Like we get what they're trying to do. We don't need you yeah. to hold our hand it's and bit- bring us to the water and then put our, your hand <laughs> above our head and force us into the water. Like we get it. We, we can find the water. It's a bit heavy handed uh, for sure is what uh, Brody's pointing out. I think we mentioned in the podcast, there's one scene that it kind of maybe assists, but it's more of a crutch than it is um, anything else. What else do we have? Uh, Solvang, you know, we would say she fails the Bechdel test in this episode. Doesn't really hold up in 2020. Uh, but I like that Brody sort of relates her to a siren, you know, like from the Odyssey or something. Yeah, I thought that was a unique description for her. Yeah, I think it would be apt, but... Like we said before, we're not entirely too sure if she's a nefarious character right. or whether she's just opportunistic and she's just like, well, you know, I'm just here to have a good time. Like, I don't... Right. We can't for sure know if she has ulterior disastrous motive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It cracked up so much when he <laughs> suggested the uh, Weekend at Bernie's, like, plot of this episode. What if, uh, you know, the body falls out of the coffin and they just have to, like, Weekend at Bernie's it? <laughs> <laughs> It would have been way more funny if like the coffin falls out and he turns out he's like actually alive the whole time. <laughs> it's just like, what are you guys doing? I was just taking a nap. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, thank you again, Brody, for doing this. It seems like you had a lot of fun. I'm glad you did it. And uh, maybe we'll have to have you back on again sometime. Uh, if not for our bonus Patreon episodes. Uh, okay, Charles, next week we've got the next episode, number 17 of season three. It's called Lost and Found. Thoughts? Hmm. I'm going to guess that one of the characters discovers like a hobby that they used to love and then dropped it for some reason. And now they're (laughs) returning back to it. Okay. Well, we'll just have to see next week. Charles, it's been a great time potting with you. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you next week, Lee. Northern Overexposure Podcast is edited by me. Our theme song was remixed by Matt Jackson. Thanks to Laser Kitties for the podcast artwork. And thanks to Brody for being our guest analyst. If you'd like to write into the podcast, you can reach us at northernoverexposurepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, thank you for listening.